Shikayach. Okay, so here we go. So uh, today's topic is Kibra uh, Aim in this world and the next, and the Torah that we learn here this evening should be a schus for Rivka Baschayim, the Neshama Shevnaliyah, and the family should have a Nechama. So this is a very broad topic. There's really so much uh, to learn about this, and we'll try to encapsulate the main ideas as much as we can. So let's begin by sharing a few pieces of Gemara, a story, and then we'll focus initially on Kibbut Aim in this world, um, the Shosim of this world, and then how we can shift it and translate it to Kibbut Aim even after uh, even after our parents have passed on, and perhaps even touch on how can we ourselves, if those of us who have the merit to be parents, how do we give this over to our uh, to our own children? So here we go. The Talmud Yerushalmi says in Meseches Peya, Yishtado Lasek B'Tzarchem, part of respecting one's parents is to strive to involve yourself in your parents' needs. She mitzvah sasem in Torah. We know this is a positive commandment in the Torah. V'hi chamura shebechamura. It's very, very powerful words. Chamura shebechamura means if you want to be machmir, yeah, if you want to be really religious, you want to be a religious fanatic, and you care about mitzvahs, know that this mitzvah is one you better take seriously. Okay, we know there's a Gemara as well in Bavli, the regular Shas that we learn, there's three partners in every person. Each and every one of us have three parents. Okay, who are our parents? Our mom, our dad, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The mother gives the red parts of the body, the dad gives the, the white tissue, the, the muscle and the skeleton, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives the neshama, which is a fascinating uh, topic in and of itself, where anything that, ha- because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the third parent, anything that has to do with that third, call it the third wheel, which is really who we are, the neshama, God says, I'll cover all those expenses, that's my responsibility, because that same way a parent takes care of a child, that's why Hashem says, I'll take care of your Shabbos expenses, that's why Hashem says, I'll take care of your Torah expenses, that's why Hashem says, I'll take care of your Yom Tov expenses, all these things go into that, because Hashem says, listen, I'm the dead, I'm, I'm the father in this, and therefore, uh, all those things become my responsibility. And the Chachamim tell us that, because we have three parents, when you talk about Kibbut Avayim, when you talk about respecting your parents, First of all, it's the same as respecting Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And when you respect of of uh, when one respects their mom and dad, Omar Hashem Yisbarach Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, "Yofe Asisi, how beautiful is this?" He says, "When somebody doesn't respect, God says, oh, I'm glad uh, you're not including me in this. You don't treat them like your parents. I'm not your dad either.'" But when we treat our parents like our parents, when we do give the proper kavod, Hashem says, okay, you're respecting your parents, you're respecting me as well, I'm in on this deal. So it's so interwoven, the way we respect our parents, with the bracha, with the blessing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises to, uh, to bring, to bring uh, into our lives. The Tolna Rebbe tells over a story that took place about 80 years ago. Now, by now, he told it over about uh, 25, 30 years ago. By now it's 80 years, and I looked up the numbers, because as, as we say very often in shul, when you hear a good story, so and it has money, a good story, good Jewish story with money. What is it? Rubles. It's all rubles, yeah? No matter when it was. Some do with, see the Shagai, some guy rubles, 
It was 1915 rubles, uh, 2002, there's rubles. There's, al- there's always rubles. So this story doesn't have rubles, it has lira. And I was like, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to figure out how many lira, what exactly are we talking about over here? So the, the Tolna Rebbe tells over a, a story of a Yid by the name of Pinchas. He doesn't give us his last name. When Pinchas was a young man, he was terminally ill. And I'm not sure specifically what illness it was. Uh, the doctors basically told him that he has Shavuo Sefurim Lechayes, counted weeks to live. Okay, a week, two weeks, time to start saying goodbye. Okay, he's a young man, he had a young family, and he was obviously uh, very heartbroken, and he decides he's going to go to the Chazanish. Lived in Eretz Yisrael, he's going to travel to Bnei Brak and go to the Chazanish, get a bracha, talk to the Chazanish, hopefully he'll have some sort of Yeshua, some sort of salvation, even the doctors had given up. Okay. They didn't have buses yet to Bnei Brak. They didn't have the 402. Um, so it was tough to get there. And he figured out a way this to rent a car from wherever he was. And he had to pay five lira. So this is where I researched it. Like, how much is a lira today? So a lira in today's numbers, I looked up, is $104.18. So it cost him five lira. So talk about 416 plus dollars to rent a car for a day to go visit the Chazanish, and you'll see why, um, speci- why I specifically did the research on how much that was. It's obviously, you know, $400, $416, he didn't have the Shul's rental car, rental car code. You know, it's a, it's a lot of money. So, um, okay, but it's, it's worth everything to go see the Chazanish. To go see the Chazanish, maybe he'll be Zocha to receive a bracha. He comes into the Chazanish, and he starts pouring his heart out. Tell the Chazanish everything that's going on in his life, the doctor's prognosis, and his wife, his children, everything that they're all going through. And the Chazanish says to him, he's, he lets him finish, and he says, Amar Nali, please tell me, do you have parents? So he was a little surprised by the question. Why, what do you want to know about parents? What's, you know, what's, why is that important? But he says, yeah, I, I, uh, I have parents. Why does, you know, why does Rebbe want to know if I have parents? He says, how much money do you spend together? So he says, I spent five lira. I spent $416 plus to get here. So he says, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you spent $416 on your parents? Most time you you spent one lira, one lira, a hundred four dollars, just to go see your parent. Most time you spoke to them, went to visit them, like, and it hadn't been recent for him. You know, he had a lot going on, and uh, you know, he's nice parents, but wasn't that close. wasn't that close with them. So the Chazanish looks at him. The Chazanish obviously had an agenda with this, and he says, "Dalacha, you should know." <clears throat> that the Torah HaKadoshah, the Holy Torah says, Respect your parents for a long life and it'll be good for you. I don't know why you spent five lira, 416 bucks, to rent a car, to come to me. You don't even know if I'm going to be home. We never met before. You don't know what I'm going to tell you. You don't know if you're going to receive a bracha. And the Torah promises that if you were just build your relationship with your parents, you can have a Yeshua. Why are you trying to start with me? Start there. 
And this Yid Pinchas picked up and left. And the Chazanish on his way out gave him a bracha. He didn't only want to give him Musr. He gave him a bracha. And the Tolna Rebbe writes that at the time that he told over the story, this Yid was still around. He said he just had his 90th birthday. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> you know, there's the story that, that uh, the Tolna Rebbe tells over. Okay. So, you have the Chazanish pointing out something that Torah, which we all know is true, it promises us, and that is, keep it of aim to respect one's parents. Well, we'll discuss how and when, and in this world and the next world, is, it's not like some random segula of wearing like a string on our wrist, you know, like a red string to ward off an uh, you know, uh, uh, ayin the Torah, the Torah promises that Kaddish Baruch Hu says this is just how I built nature in. When there's kibud avaim, there's going to be uh, there's going to be bracha that comes to a person's life. The Medrash tells us in Bereishis Rabbah that Shem Ben Gamliel Oimer Shem Gamliel says, and this connects to this week's parsha. Interestingly, kibud avaim we have the you know we're getting into the birth of Yaakov and Esav, and Esav interestingly will dwell on for a few minutes. Excelled in Kibbut Avaim. But Shimon Ben Gamliel says, All of my days I served my father, and I didn't accomplish one hundredth of what Esav honored his father. Why? So the Medrash says that, Shimon Ben says that when Esav served his father, he served his father wearing royal garments. Now I want to focus, spend a few minutes focusing on something which I. I always had a very difficult time with until I started researching this specifically for this this sheer to come. I was like, I, I, there's something that's always been bothering me. I'll keep it off aim, and I was like, I'm I'm going to prepare this and I, I'm going to come up with an answer. I never really spent time dwelling on this. Something that always bothered me about keep it off aim, which is Esav in the Torah is keep it off aim. We've heard about Esav's keep it off aim, yeah. I'll oh, keep it off aim. The Gemara in Kedushin, the main sugya in Shas of keep it off aim, asks. What to what extent is Kibbut Avaim? And the Gemara gives us a story of Dama ben Nesina, Dama the son of Nesina, Dama the son of Nesina. Dama was a guy whose father Nesina apparently wasn't mentally well. Rav Meishe Feinstein has a whole shuv about this, but basically the Chachamim came to him to purchase a stone for the ephod, and he it was a major sale, major major sale. This was going to be the sale of the century. He really could have made a lot of money, but his father was sleeping near the vault where the stone was kept, and therefore he passed on the entire thing. So there's a whole thing about it, what a normal father wants your kid to wake him up. So the father apparently had had uh, mental issues as well, and that his father wouldn't have understood, and he didn't wake up his father. There's a whole tyra on this. Dominicina was not Jewish. He's not Jewish. And this always irked me. You look in the tyra, it's like, what about Kibbut Aveim? Look at Ace of the Russia. And then you go to Gemara, and you're like, what's with Kibbutz Avim? You're like, look at this guy, this non-Jew, Dama Ben Nesina. Like, where's the Jews in Kibbutz Avim? What's up? Like, that's the first question. I always, that, and it always, like, irked me. Not enough to, like, drive me nuts to, like, actually dwell on it, but, like, enough, like, hey, like, there's, I got, at some point in my life, I got to figure this out. Secondly, a non-Jew doesn't have a mitzvah of Kibbutz Avim. So when the Gemara says, Dev Shem they have seven other laws. When the Gemara says, show me an example of somebody who kept the mitzvah of Kibbut Avaim, you didn't give me an answer. Dan Benesina, very nice, he was a nice guy. He took care of his old man. Very nice. That's not, that's not the mitzvah of Kibbut Avaim. He didn't have a mitzvah of Kibbut Avaim. 
Get it? It's fascinating. Kibbut Avaim, it's like it takes us out of our nation. What's the deal? What, what's a, it's, it's really a, it's a it's a fascinating idea. I want to add another question. Look at this. Look at this. Medrash. Medrash says Rav Shingmiel says I excel in in serving my parents, but you should know I don't come up to a hundredth of Esav because Esav wore royal garments when he served Yitzchak. So, so go do it. Go do it. <laughs> you're so great. I keep Avim, and you're learning from Esav. Yeah, how did you know that from Esav? Because Esav had this special garment that he kept specifically in the house of his parents. Yitzhak and Rivka. That's how Rivka got her hands on these garments to give to Yaakov because Esav kept, Esav didn't live in the house, but he kept it in the house because he wanted special garments that were handed down from Adam Harishan that they, and they were only going to be used specifically when, he's, when he fulfills this mitzvah, when he works for Yitzchak. And he did this every single day. He went out, you know, the story that we have, he went out, Yitzchak asked him to catch a catch out in the field to go get some meat. He did this every day, Yisav. But he had these special garments, these special royal garments that he used. So, Rav Shingliyah, who's incredible Kibbutz, he knows Esav is doing this. Why doesn't he do the same thing? So we're going to answer all these questions. Answer all these questions. To answer the last question first, even though the mission of us tells us you should answer in the proper order, but I want to work backwards for a minute. To answer the last question, why didn't Rosh do this himself? He's looking at Esav. Esav's like, hey, wearing special clothing when he's serving his parents. Why? And Rosh like, that's incredible, right? Uh, I mean, I, I don't touch his toenails. So why doesn't he do it? So the Bali Musar tell us that it wouldn't have helped. Rav Shingham Leo was too scared to have special garments when he took care of his parents. Because there's always a risk when you deal with the best. When you get a brand new Shabbos clothing, or you press your clothing for a chasna, or whatever it is, what are you always careful to do when you're drinking your first cup of Coke? Don't spill. Don't spill. You don't want to get it dirty. If you just worked so hard on keeping something so perfect... And then it's like, oh, I can't mess things up, right? You gotta, you gotta be very, uh, very delicate with it. So nothing really exists in a snapshot. Meaning, you can't just say, oh, there's nice clothing, and then what Shingmiel was saying is like this: I could wear these nice clothing, but what happens if I serve my father in my nicest clothing, and I have these royal garments that are untouchable from other Mauritian? And I'm serving my dad, and you know what? He's shaking, and he knocks it all over me. How am I going to react then? See, Esav, says Yashingam, we all could have handled this. Esav had such kibbutz of the aim that even the downside, the risk that comes with wearing royal garments wouldn't have mattered. That's how great he was in kibbutz of aim. For me, even to try, it's, it's not that he wore royal garments. I don't wear, it's not the wearing of the royal garments. It's everything has a broader picture. I am not as great as Esav, nor can I be at the level that I'm at. I can keep striving for that. But just to do what Esav did actually would probably cause me to disrespect my parents. Because I might get upset for a moment if my parents ruin something that I have. So she, that's why Shingamil didn't do it, the Bali Musar teach us. He knows that 
he understand? He knows that Esau's doing something greater, but he's not even doing because he knows that for him to try to do something on that level would be a mistake. He's just setting himself up for uh, for a shriek or for saying, "Oh, Dad, you know, <laughs> as great of as great uh, as a uh, of a child as he was." Okay, so that answers the last question. Why did he do that? What about the original questions? The original questions were: Tama Ben is not Jewish. Esav's a Russia. Why are we learning, looking outside the people? So I believe the answer is from a chinuch. The chinuch, when talking about the mitzvah, kibbut aveim, uses a very interesting expression. The chinuch says that kibbut aveim is centered around the idea that it's roi, it's proper for a person to be makir tov, to recognize the good for those who brought them into this world. The way the Chinuch writes this is very interesting. And I believe this is the answer. The Chinuch says, Kibbut Aim is not about performing active duties to our parents. Yes, we're going to see soon, there are some halachos that we're obligated to do. But Kibbut Aim, according to the Chinuch, is the basic idea that it's roi, it's good and proper for everybody. This is only do whether you're Jew or not Jew. He's talking about what we'll call menschlichkeit. Basic midos, what it means to be a human being is to recognize that we're obligated to be grateful to those who put us in this world. That doesn't, that applies to anybody. And perhaps this is why specifically by this mitzvah, it leaves the nation to tell us that the kishkas of this mitzvah is not about Hashem commanded you to do it like like the other 612 mitzvahs, you do it because Hashem commanded you to do it. The Chinuch then goes, no, you do it because that's what a human being does. That's what a human being does. So it's good, it's right to recognize the good. They have no one. happened to excel in this. As big of a Russia as Esav was, Dabbanasina might have been a nice guy. We don't know. He ended up, the Gemara goes on, by the way, to end off that story. The Gemara says he didn't lose a penny from it because the next year, him and his family merited to have a, uh, um, uh, yeah, to have a, um, a paraduma, a red heifer born, which into them, and the chacham paid the same amount they would have paid uh, otherwise, and they didn't end up losing anything from it uh, anyway. But be it as it may, you could be a tremendous Russia like Esav and still have this recognition. He recognized that no matter how difficult Esav was as he was becoming, uh, Yitzchak was, I'm sorry, you know, maybe it was harder to, to care for an elderly father whose eyes were going and, you know, he was, he was becoming blind and so on and so forth. But Esav had, he, he excelled in this. And that's what Rabshim Gamliel was, uh, was pointing out earlier. What this chinuch is telling us is that kibbut avaim has nothing to do with what our parents give us. Zilch. And that's why Kibbut Aveim was given out in the desert. You should know our parents did nothing for us in the desert other, other than give birth to us. <clears throat> nothing. They didn't give us clothing, they didn't give us food. They didn't give us anything. They didn't pay our tuition. Nothing. HaKadosh Baruch Hu took care of everything. If our parent does nothing for us, we're still obligated to have Kibbut Aveim. We're still obligated to be, uh, to be Makir Taif, you know, or Busek Zilberstein. He brings down, he, 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 all, all these great stories come to him and, and crazy stories come to him. And uh, he, he writes, as a, you know, just a, a little anecdote where he's bringing out a message, but there was a, a couple that came to him in Kolo and 
they were married about three years or so, and they came to him to complain about their parents. The chutzpah, that they only agreed to support us for three years, and now we, wanna, our, we, we now have a child, and it's time to start looking for an apartment in Israel, and our parents aren't helping us with a down payment on the apartment. And they, they came to him to complain. Sir <laughs> Yitzhak Zilberstein says, you're complaining? He says, I want you to go back, think of the last three years, and give your parents back every penny they gave you. Ah, chutzpah. Your parents owe this to you? You owe this to you? You're lucky that they gave birth to you. That's, that's, that's their responsibility. It's your responsibility to mock It's not their responsibility to take care of anything else. I, re- I recall when I was starting to, uh, when I was deciding to get engaged. So after uh, we were, uh, I was dating my wife, so I was, I was about to get engaged. And I did have this chus to learn in Kolo for, uh, for a few years. Uh, but my father, Zechariah uh, Levracha, sat me down. And he said, he gave me a few rules when it came to finances, um, a few things. Well, one thing that he told me is, you should know, in Aksuba, it says that a husband's going to take care of a wife. Not me, not your in-laws, not your siblings, not nobody. You are responsible financially to take care of your wife. If anybody wants to help you out, that's their schus. He's like, you want to sit and learn for a little bit? I'm, I'm honored to do it for however long, but no, you, you need to know that nobody owes you anything. You, you, you already have too much. What does it mean you have too much? Your parents gave birth to you and you can't, that's it. Just the mere fact that they gave birth, to, that, that, that they gave birth is, demands the responsibility of Kibbut Avaim, like it was in the Midbar. They didn't take care of us in any other way. Rabbi Shleim is Alman Arbach. There's a story with him that he was, he, in Yeshiva's Kol Torah, he gathered all of the Yeshiva Bacharim together and he told them there was a terrible thing that happened today in the, uh, in the neighborhood, and I need to make you aware of it. That's how he started out. And everybody's like flipping. They thought someone died. There was something. There was a, a bus accident, like uh, the terrorist attack. Something terrible happened in the neighborhood. Everything's coming to him. And um, all of the Bahram gathered around him. And Rishlam Azamin told them the terrible thing that happened this morning, yeah, was that um, he saw, a, he saw, he says, I saw a person dragging benches to the shul because there was a lechayim, is on Shabbos, Shabbos afternoon, he gathered his talmud together, he says, this morning I saw, I saw a man dragging benches to shul for the lechayim, they were going to sponsor the kiddush in shul, and next to the man dragging the benches was the chassan, his son, who was walking next to his father, and he didn't lift a finger. So Shlomo Zaman says, I, I, he tells his Talmidim, he says, I, I, I couldn't contain myself. I walked over to the chassan, I said, excuse me, your father's dragging benches, where are you? And the chassan proudly told him, he doesn't carry without an Eruv. He doesn't, he doesn't trust the Eruv. He's very careful. Even when there's an Eruv, he doesn't schlep. That's what he tells him, Shlomo Zaman. So Shlomo Zama got enraged by this. Enraged. This is like, this is what they call like foolish Hasidus, right? You want to be machmer on the area of and therefore your father sitting there schlepping something and, and, and you don't lift a finger? What is this? He, he, like, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't contain himself. He gathered all the Tamim together to tell them the terrible thing that happened in the community that morning. Just drill into them. This, this, such, things, such things don't happen. It can't happen. When you, when, you know, you, instead you hear stories of our G'daylam or Nassim Sifinkel 
who I had the schos to, to learn by for a little bit, Rav Svi, just passed away a few years ago, um, at, at a young age, he was 69 when he passed away, many of us are, are familiar, um, suffered from Parkinson's, but there's a story brought down that he traveled from Yerushalayim to Bnei Brak for a chasna, there was one of the, like, probably like a Kanievsky type of wedding, a big, a big, uh, a big name in the yeshiva world, was making a chasna in Bnei Brak, and Rav Svi went to the wedding. In the middle of the wedding, there was he had to tend to something back in Yerushalayim. So he had one of his Talmidim drive him back to Yerushalayim. And his mother, Rav Svi's mother, called him in the car as going back to Yerushalayim. Rav Svi mentioned her, I'm on my way back to Yerushalayim. And after I'm done, I hope to go back to Bnei Brak. I feel like I didn't spend enough time. At the chasna, I feel like I need to give more kavod to the chasna. Yeah, it's an hour drive. So he felt like he could go to Yerushalayim, take care of what he had to take care of, and then schlep all the way back to Bnei Brak. And Reb Nosson Tzvi, okay, Reb Nosson Tzvi Finkel, his mother, originally from Chicago, uh, his mother says, Nosson Tzvi, you're not going back to Bnei Brak. You're not going back. That's it. <laughs> you know, she's telling her son, he's, uh, he's not going back. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know how many adult men are going to... Uh, uh, listen to uh, to their elderly mother, but you should know what Rav Shlaim, what Rav Svi did is he called up his wife and he told his wife that he feels he has to go back and he asked his wife if she could intervene with his mother. So uh, Rebetzin Finkel um, called up her mother-in-law and says, you know, Nassim Svi called me, he feels he really has to go back to the chasna, he's not going to go back if you don't let him though. But he really wants your permission. He, he feels that he'll get a yes if I call. <laughs> that's what his wife says. And the, his mother gave permission. So his mother says, okay, if he, if he needs to go back so much, she'll let him go back. Okay, but that's what a gadol does, right? You have somebody who's, who's like, you know, thinks they know better. You have a, which many of us do as children. As children, I can say, I, I certainly suffer from this. And uh, if my home is a normal home, you know, now we have uh, teenagers and adolescents. And yeah, so... Uh, very often, especially when there's when there's familiarity in the home and comfort and love in the home, so children take their parents for granted. That is a very normal thing. And your parents always, I mean, they say no, they say no, I'm not going to do it, or or uh, they'll pretend like they didn't hear, or they just won't follow through, or be it as it may. It's a very normal reaction. But you look at our gedolim, they know that no kibud aim. This is something which goes even beyond the commandment of the, of the bariyalim. This is something that we look to Dhamma Benesina, we look to Esav. This is something that's, that's beyond, uh, beyond anything else. Okay. Now, a lot of that had to do with Kibbut Aim in this world. Right? How do we actively perform Kibbut Aim? Well, you know, we'll, uh, there's things that Rashi lists as well, various ways to show Kavod, actively show Kavod, not interrupting, so on and so forth. How does, how does this translate for those of us, and this is all of us, who have previous generations that are no longer in this world? How do we show Kibbut Aim? Because if, we, if it's possible to have Kibbut Aim, we keep the same schus, even when they're not here. Now, Kibbut Aim applies to parents, it applies to grandparents, it applies to great it applies to all our previous generations, the Shulchan Aruch Paskins like that. Shokhanaruch says, same way you're obligated to, to respect and fear your parents, you've got to respect and fear your grandparents. So it's the same schus, it's the same merit. <laughs> so what can we do about this? What can we do about uh, continuing 
the mitzvah of kibud avaim, both in this world and the next. So to build a boundary around where we'll head with this, I just want to share a marshal, a parable of there's a there's a guy who is sitting in business class and he's sipping a cup of whiskey. The flight attendant, you know, half hour into the flight is coming around and sometimes they have a little gut feeling about things and she asks him for his boarding pass. She thought he didn't belong in uh, in business class. She asked him for his boarding pass, and he pulls out his boarding pass, and he was Taka supposed to be in coach. Yeah? He was supposed to be towards the back. So she tells him, you know, you're in the wrong seat. You got to get to the back. She says, why am I in the wrong seat? She says, you have a coach. You have a coach ticket. You moved up to business. This is not, this is not your seat. She says, well, what's the difference? What does it make a difference to you? She says, Difference in price. That's how it's the company regulations. She so says, "What? Well, what's the difference in price?" She's like, "I don't know." You know, they start not really move the haggle, but she tells him, "You know, the economy seat could cost three hundred dollars, and a business class could cost eight hundred dollars." The guy says, "Fine." Pulls five hundred dollars out of his wallet. Says, "Now I'm in. Now I'm in business. I'll give it to you. You pass it on to the company, and now I'm in business." And she says, "No." It's not the way it works. The way it works is you pay downstairs and up here we take receipts. Up here you give a boarding pass. You don't give cash. So this is a parable for Elam Haza and Elam Haba. Right? People come up to the next world and like, oh, you know, we, we prefer to be in business class, first class, and like your seats in the back. We'd be like, oh, what, what do I need to do? Do a few more mitzvos? You can't do it anymore. Can't do it. But interestingly, as we're going to see, the Torah and Chazal in the Mishnah and Gemara teach us that even though they only take receipts upstairs, the later generations can keep paying for those that have passed on and bring them to business first class as far as this parable is uh, is concerned. Okay? Now, there's a few things that we can personally do. That was referring to the neshama themselves, but we're going to see how this really all comes together. What can we do? What is our mitzvah? For those of us that we have generations that aren't here anymore. So first of all, how we can, one of the things we can actively do to fulfill the mitzvah of kibud av ve'im is when mentioning the name of the parent to say, my father, Zichrono Levracha, may his memory, may his name be a blessing, or my mother, Zichrona Levracha, my father, Olav HaShalom, my mother, Aleha HaShalom. What these things are doing is it's showing respect to the deceased. So on my end, this is not bringing us chos, we'll get to chosim soon, I'm bringing them to business. But even on our end, when we talk about our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, just by using that title and that reference, that's covered. That's honoring who they are. The same way we, uh, the same way we would do it in uh, in this world. Some the, it's brought down sometimes naming a child after a deceased parent, grandparents, great grandparent. That's another way to show covered. Um, if as you look through Chazal, there's many other ways to honor a parent 
actively in this world, giving tzedakah in their schos, in their merit, reciting Kaddish, um, reciting Yizgar, um, learning Torah, specifically on the yard site as well, doing mitzvos, and in general, as Rav Pam would, would say, you know, when you say Kaddish for a parent, a grandparent, it's, uh, it's like sending regards. He says, when you elevate your life as a merit for your previous generations, that's like sending them a care package in camp, right? <laughs> it's like you could send, you could send a hello to your, to your friend in camp, or you could send them food for Shabbos. It's like, oh, psh, it's like a chash with it. He says, when, you, when a person lives differently because of their parents and grandparents, even after they pass away, that is, a, that is honoring. That is really honoring, and that's, that's full-fledged. Keep it up, aim. I'm doing the same thing for them in this world or in the next world. They're, they're not here to see it. Does that change the way that I'm honoring them? No, I'm still honoring my parents and grandparents. The schus is for the person who's, who's in this world. Now, I want to touch on a, on a topic that is um, very difficult, but all over the place and very important to mention. And that is that in reality, there's no parent that's perfect. I could just say, speak for myself and experience that I have with, uh, with people, okay? Nobody's perfect. I could guarantee you none of our parents were perfect. Doesn't mean they weren't good parents. Great parents, good parents, doesn't mean that they did everything right. My mother would always quip to us that uh, there's a reason why the firstborn in the Torah gets double portion. There's a reason for that, right? <laughs> they're, they're the experiment. They're, you know, they're the one, they, they have to put up with a lot. They, 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 what, we walk out of the hospital with a child like, you know, as, as if like we just got an education on how to raise this kid. No, we're, we're, we're learning, our, we're fumbling through and doing our best. But yeah, are we going to make mistakes? We certainly will make mistakes, no question about it. But there are times where you can have a parent that they are objectively problematic. What if I come from a family, my parents are objectively problematic. They were simply not good parents. What we learned in the beginning is that the halacha states, it doesn't change my responsibility of kibbutzavim. Now, I'm obligated to protect myself. I'm obligated to stay safe. But I'm not allowed to disrespect my parents. It's their responsibility to learn to be better people. But if I'm not my parents' Rebbe, and I'm not my parents' Mora, and it's not going to change anything, I still have a responsibility to respect the parents. This applies if a parent is rude. This applies if a parent is unpleasant, uh, unpleasant to be about. The Gemara gives a story of the mother of one of the Amiram, who during Shear, while he was giving Shear, the mother would, when she would walk by, she'd spit in his face. All of us talking them around, the Gemara talks about a mother would spit in her son. She, <laughs> what's she doing? I don't know, maybe she had... Uh, you know, uh, obviously she had numerous issues, but the Gemara says, and there's a reason why the Gemara tells us this story. It doesn't tell us random stories for no reason. This Amora kept his composure and he continued to accord her honor. Now, it doesn't mean he went back to, uh, to you know, and, and asked for it, but it doesn't say either that he, you know, he uh, went around speaking Lashon Hara or went, or went around uh, trying to throw her under the bus. So it's a tremendous mitzvah. 
at times we need to be clear. You got to be, you got to take care of your own welfare. You got to make sure you're in a place of safety. You got to make sure if there's abuse, that no abuse is taken care of, is, is chas v'sholem ever going to happen. No one's ever required to endanger them, you know, themselves physically, emotionally, uh, you know, anything, that's for sure. And if a child has a difficult time coping with a parent, if you speak to the G'daylum, you know what they'll say? Keep a distance. I'll tell you what they'll say. Keep a distance. So if you, if you can, so leave. Move away. Move away. But it doesn't excuse me treating my parent disrespectfully. I've, I, at least I've, I've never heard it. It's a di- it's, again, it's a difficult conversation. It's a, and you've got to take it on a case-by-case basis. But you've got to throw it out there. It needs to be spoken about because it's, it's, it's a reality in today's, in today's day and age. Um, the, uh, but it's important to know the obligation for the mitzvah of Kibbut Ava'im still, still applies. Again, why? Like we said from the Chinuch. It's always a ro'i, it's correct, it's appropriate for a person to always have an appreciation. I don't need to keep, I don't need to stay close. I shouldn't stay close if they're in the way and they're getting in the way of my family. So keep a distance, that's fine. But there always needs to be an underlying appreciation for the gift of life. These two people brought me into the world and I will always be appreciative of that. Okay? Now on the parent side, one last idea on this, on, on this theme of unfortunate circumstances. On the parent side, if you have a parent that fails to build a proper relationship with a child and, you know, and... Uh, um, and doesn't allow a child to, to have that in their own life, that parent has their own heavy price to pay. There's no question about it. But it's not the child's place to have the chutzpah, like we said before. But, but it, the, there is something, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's problematic to be such a parent. We have to learn to really ensure that our homes are a place that's comfortable, a place that's safe for, for, uh, our, for all of our family and anybody who walks through our walls. Let's get back to the topic of honoring one's parents after they pass away. Rav Pam, he says something that is so incredible. Rav Pam says, you can honor your parents more, you do honor your parents more after they pass away than while they're in this world. And listen to how he explains it. He says, when a person's alive, they still control how they're viewed in this world. They're, they're not completely dependent because they have their own chasnas that they go to. They have their own people that they interact with. As soon as someone passes away, their family becomes their yichas. The family becomes their yichas. They can't do anything anymore for themselves. So as soon as they're upstairs, says Rav Pam, you have a dual opportunity. Number one, they're completely dependent on you to keep that name kosher. And when you do, that's kibbutz Avayim. So until then, they could have done it themselves. Now they can't. You're keeping, you're the child of this woman. You're the child of this man. By you call it not messing up or even doing a good job in life and being menschlich to others, that is 
tremendous kibbutz aim, says Rapam. Not only that, says Rapam, you have an advantage because your parents are much closer to Akadish Baruch. Hu. So they could go and speak to Akadish Baruch Hu on your behalf. Look, look what my look what uh, my grandchild's doing down there uh, on on planet Earth. Look how they're you know look how they're coping with this situation. Look how they're handling the situation. Look how they're being mevat there. Bring them bracha. So you have a you have a double advantage. Number one is that that they're completely dependent, and the more dependent they are, the more opportunity you're able to do for them. And on the other hand, they're there to do for you. So you're to an extent that it's a it's a, it's a win win. To wrap up this idea, to wrap up this idea, Rabbi Zilberstein says as follows. He says. It's pekuach nefesh to not have kibbutzavim. He says, "Look at everything we've been learning. What's kibbutzavim do? Look at our opening story of Pinchas. What does the Chazanish tell him? Go to your parents. If you go to your parents, you have a greater chance for a Yeshua. You get a longer life." He says, "When people separate from their parents and they just pull away." It must be only if it's pekuach nefesh, because that's what we're doing to ourselves, pekuach nefesh. We're losing out on that bracha of the man yarichu nyamecha. Understand? But he calls it pekuach nefesh. If you, to remove yourself from this bracha of kibud avaim, you, you're you're removing the opportunity for a longer life. It's incredible. It's a, It's like. The, the, the rule in Gemara is mechlal lav atashvehim. When the Gemara, when when it says don't do something, that means do the op- That means you can understand the opposite and vice versa. So when it says to perform this mitzvah, you get a long life. It means if I don't, it's risky. So he says pekuach nefesh to not to not uh, keep on this mitzvah. And again, this mitzvah is it applies in this world. We even have a greater opportunity for for it to apply in the next world. And as we see, if we want bracha. Make sure, take care of our parents, both in this world and in the next. May each of us be zaycha to this uh, fantastic opportunity of, no matter where our parents and grandparents are, of Leman Yarich and Yamecha, may we be zaycha to have long, healthy, and bracha dika lives. Amen. All right. Shalom Hashem and Aliyah, Hashem.